Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Oh, they changed their. They, this meeting is being recorded. It's a new point. Okay. Well, there we go. All right, here we go. We're doing something new, aren't we, Dina? Yeah, always experimenting, trying something's new, some out of innovation, some out of desperation, maybe. <laughs> yes. We're doing, always. doing a little Zoom intro this week. Uh, our, our regular programming was uh, disrupted by the uh, the flow of summer, so we're in different different spaces, different places, uh, but always connected uh, via the World Wide Web. That's uh, right. So here we go. We'll always be able to uh, stay stay together, even if we're apart, which is good. Rest assured, everyone, we are still very very connected. <laughs> but we got a good we got a good episode lined up today. Yes, yeah, this, this combo was fiery, full of incredible takeaways and information and just passion and purpose and, and a lot of uh, common sense, you know, things that, um, what's the phrase that's uh, not comfortably numb, but we're like willfully ignorant to, and once you know, it's hard to unknow. Um, so we went deep with uh, the one and only Zoe Pallet on uh, activism, animal rights, veganism, climate change, government subsidies. Um, I think this was a conversation for everybody because I think we put, put our blinders on to the, the life that we live and, and we're not always um, you know, aware of some of the atrocities that are, are happening to our animal friends and, and how that affects us, the human population because we all are connected. Um, just to ramble off a Gandhi quote, because he was, you know, a decent, decent human being. Uh, the greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. What do you think about that one, Dina? I mean, I think it probably sits uncomfortably with, with a lot of us because we can look around and see that we do not treat our animals uh, very well and I mean obviously there are people who be like no I like my little dog Fido like you know she's a king queen whatever sleeps on the bed all the treats but it's it's the the mass agriculture I think when we look at that and it's often you know uh unseen 
right? We've we've had um, conversations on the podcast before with Amy Serrano talking about kind of peeling back the curtain, Jen Arden as well, like bringing into uh, into the forefront, bringing into the light some of the stuff that's happening, the ways that our animals are being treated or mistreated. And I really think it's true. I mean, what Gandhi said, not just because it's Gandhi, but because the measure of, you know, a society and our compassion and our ability to, uh, you know, see and value life is not just uh, carte blanche, like the people who matter the most because they're people, but all, all beings. And so I think that's, uh, it's true. It's very true. Okay, I got another one for you here. I got a few quotes this week. Let's do it. Um, this one's by Voltaire, the, uh, the great philosopher. We, we. <laughs> if we believe absurdities, we shall commit atrocities. What do you think about that one? Ah, if we believe absurdities, we'll commit atrocities. Yeah. I, I feel like, again, it's one of those things that seems like the the average person would be like well no no like i i could never do something like that but then if we put it in the framework of this co- this conversation of of you know eating meat um we look at the way that it's marketed to us and you know that uh, animals and their quote unquote products are called things like steak or you know shanks or whatever it's not it's distanced right? So we believe something that's kind of absurd. We make up a name for a part of an animal that isn't, you know, the name of the animal's part or, you know. We're not saying like, I'll have that cow leg or that, uh, that hoof or. Yeah. Because people do say ribs. Ribs. But it's, even in that though, the fact that it's like normalized. Yes. To be like, oh yeah, we'll eat like this part of of the animal and that like ribs would be something in one context you'd be like oh I'm like my ribs hurt or oh you can see it's ribs or whatever to then being like ribs for dinner and everyone's like all right like it's it is a little bit absurd and in keeping with Voltaire it's like those kind of being comfortable with or accepting those uh, absurdities can lead to things that are you know we would say uh, atrocities this mass mechanism of slaughter and degradation to the environment uh, impacts to our own health as we eat these things like it is it rings true yeah it's funny i'm up in whistler right now and uh been going to bread ed's bread uh you know every morning that they're open to get our vegan sourdough cinnamon buns and we're walking by this guy and he's like are those good i'm like oh man these are like amazing this is the best cinnamon bun in the world like the best cinnamon bun in the world and he's like but it's plant-based there's like that's weird there's no like dairy or eggs in it and like um, i kind of live in this bubble and i forget that like plant-based is like shocking or a turn off to some people and i was just like simmering with that and it's just so bizarre that we like accept cow's milk that's intended for you know, baby cows as normal over like nut milk or, or alternative options that are not from animals. Um, and that like eggs for baking is like 
from from a chicken is just like so normalized like we like that's normal but excluding them is like extreme and crazy like yeah um just just so wild i got one more quote and then we can let it roll let's do it it's from george bernard shaw and he says custom will reconcile people to any atrocity what do you think of that one i mean thanksgiving dinner look no further right we can all we all remember like i remember even as a younger kid seeing you know around thanksgiving like the the displays from like PETA and these organizations where they, you know, do some sort of activism to raise awareness of how many turkeys or, you know, are slaughtered for these types of festivals and things and, you know, cultural celebrations or whatever. And I think that it is true. Like we just look and it's that mindset to me, you know, I'm not sure who to attribute the quote to, but the idea that, uh, you know, tradition, like that we've always done it this way. And, and that sentiment is the most dangerous sentence in the world is this is how we've always done it. And so I think that, you know, culture and obviously it gets, you know, we can get sensitive around different religious practices and historic traditions, of course. Um, However, if we can update some of those traditions to be more, uh, just uh what's the word i'm looking for like not modern but compassionate yeah right? if you're in a if you're in a religious tradition i've i've been reading and listening to um some stuff some work by tiknat han and you know learned that in the zen buddhist tradition like they examine their teachings and they will tweak them to update them for the modern world to make the practices more accessible to people and i just thought how beautiful and honoring that is to the sentiment of the teaching to say hey like we used to do it this way but we've learned actually it's more effective or we can be more compassionate by doing this now so we're going to enfold that into our ancient practices and i just thought what a what a radical concept to you know kind of say listen we've learned something new we've learned that a plant-based diet is the most compassionate diet so this is what we're going to do because the science has shown us we can see what eating this this other way has done to our environment, to our world, to ourselves. And so I think that um yeah, we need to we need to evaluate those customs and traditions and not just yes. let them be. But yeah, if the result is suffering and not compassion, whether that's for humans or for animals, I think there there's uh space to to question there. Yeah, always. Always. All right, and- well let's Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I cut you off there. No, no. I was just going to say, and, and to be, to be active about it, right. To once you know something you want to, you want to share it and expose it. And I think that's in many ways, what Zoe's all about in the heart of, of a lot of this conversation. So. 100%. So here we go. Zoe, activist, educator, triathlete, uh, iron, iron woman, boxer, uh, boxer athlete, just yeah. extraordinary all around rad human being yeah all right here we go all right i'm so excited for this conversation yes yes we're sitting here uh across from zoe pellet thank you for joining us coming down from the the rainforest of North Vancouver the to, North the, uh, yeah. to the sunny seas of Steveston. Although it's not <laughs> with, so sunny with right the now. exception of today yeah. as i was as i was uh, greeted with yeah yeah yes. it's a big deal when it rains out here 
So I hear. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps that is the the underlying North Van influence. Could be coming with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In any case, very happy to be here yes. and very, very honored to be invited. And I'm excited and I think we already talked about many brilliant things and needed to restrain ourselves and keep it. The, the excitement levels are high right it's now. So mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's going to be a really good uh, conversation for sure. Um, and it's so fun. Like it's, you know, oftentimes we have some level of like connection with the guest that comes in. We know them or, you know, Zach has done a collaboration with them right. through Juice Truck or whatever. Sometimes it's people that we're meeting for the first time, but it's always fun when there's like a bit of history, history. or backstory mm-hmm. and there is one between you two, right? There, there is. And as we were chatting about before, this is actually a backstory and the extent of which I just learned about for the first time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I will, I will actually probably hand it over to you, Zach, okay. uh, to, to share this, okay. this very, very important part of our history. So, so, so here's the headline. And then I'll tell the story. And Zoe didn't even know this. I don't Zoe do, did not know this. I don't even know how I haven't shared this before. Um, I have with many people, but maybe not directly with yourself. Zoe, you are my vegan maker. Yes. You uh, put me on the vegan path. Hands up. Hands up. Right? You put me on the vegan path and, uh, you know, changed, changed my life for the better. So I'm grateful. Grateful for you. Thank you. And I'll share. That's, hu- that's huge to I'll, hear. I'll share. I'll share how. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went to Emily Carr together, mm-hmm. and met on the first year, which is called Foundations. And you take, uh, you know, a little bit of everything mm-hmm. to see what you like: painting, photography, sculpture, some computer stuff that I was never very good nope. at. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I was. <laughs> Would be helpful today if I knew how to use one of those things. <laughs> Um, but I believe it might've been first year or second year. We took, um, we were in a class together. It was like animal and environmental ethics 101 or something like that with, with Carol. With Carol. Yeah. What's Carol's last name again? I know you're. Carol's, Carol's last name is Jigliotti. Yes. Carol Jigliotti. And perhaps we can, um, perhaps I can fawn over her later on because I, I don't want to take, take away from this right now, but for, for the record, she remains one of the most brilliant teachers and and individuals in the entire world. And I would say if you are going to give me the credit for your vegan journey, I need to actually give her the credit for being a huge catalyst behind my activism journey. There we go. Yeah. The vegan journey, the vegan path. I'll start somewhere. So we were taking this class and I was so into it. Like I'd go home, I'd tell my parents about it, I'd tell my friends about it. Like I was like really lit up, um, you know, considered myself like someone that cared about the environment. I love nature, had a dog, I loved animals. So everything we were talking about was like, yes, 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 I love this. But I wasn't like connecting it to any action or any practical steps beyond like agreeing with the the theory of it. So in the class, participating, yeah. putting my hand up, like taking lots of notes. And uh, <laughs> after, as a, as a keen student might, um, after one of the classes, uh, a group of us, including myself and Zoe, went for a meal, lunch, snack. can't even, don't know what time of day it was. All of the above. All, All of, the, of above. the above. 
but being the the person I was, you know, I played sports and, you know, I needed my protein and needed calories. Um, you know, I ordered myself a, a beef burger from a mm-hmm. cow mm-hmm. and we're sitting there, you know, kind of recapping the class and all the things we learned. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like greenhouse gas emissions from like cows and blah, 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 yada, yada. As I'm like wolfing down Eating. this this mm-hmm. burger, like <laughs> slopping away, like completely ignorant to like not connecting my words to my actions. And you just like so eloquently were like, uh, Zach, like, I don't even know exactly what you, you said or, or, you know, what you did, but you very clearly, uh, with great brevity, uh, pointed out my hypocrisy of like being so, you know, enjoying what I'm learning so much and not connecting it to my actions. And, and in that instance to the food on my plate mm-hmm. and it just like, Boom. Light bulb went off. Like I remember so clearly the light bulb went off mm-hmm. and I was like, oh fuck. Like, yeah. Like how am I not connecting this? And it was like literally like a sentence or something that you said. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb went off. And I was just thinking, like, how many conversations do you have with people? And you know, you don't know that that conversation changed the, changed yeah. someone's path for the rest of their life. Um, because it's just, you know, a conversation like you would have at any other lunch. Um so, but that lunch was different for me. So the light bulb went off and I was like, fuck, like I can't, uh, can't I, keep doing this I can't or... keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Like I totally a hundred percent agree with what Carol's saying. What was always saying what I'm learning. Um, so from there I went and watched, uh, earthlings probably from your, or Carol's recommendation. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was the beginning. Um, but as we were saying before, I didn't go vegan right away. I went, right. I went pescatarian yep. for whatever reason. I'm like, I yeah. like sushi. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, and I do. I mean, I, I, I would like to, to share that that is not uncommon, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it may come up at other points today. Is there are some folks who do the immediate cold turkey overnight yeah everything is out yeah and there are others who who do a more gradual approach yeah. and again perhaps it will it will be um something we revisit at another point but i don't necessarily think that one of those approaches deserves more value than yeah than the other because l- look look at you now yeah but that burger was my last yeah. that was the last meat i ever ate land meat and then for whatever reason, it took me until we launched the juice truck till I went vegan because mm-hmm. I kind of re-educated myself mm-hmm. at that point. I rewatched like the documentaries and reread the books. And then it was kind of a no brainer that um, like I was being, uh, again, uh, a bit of a hypocrite towards or, or being like uh, um, willfully ignorant to like the damage of dairy and eggs mm-hmm. Um to to animals and to the environment and uh mm-hmm. you know once those those dots were clearly connected it's been uh, clear sailing ever since ever then. since yeah so did you did you go so land land animals out first yep fish and other um ocean beings and then dairy eggs butter those were kind of the last chunk yeah i had like okay. like three okay. chapters to okay. like so yeah, pescatarian. I was probably pescatarian for like five years, and then just kind of got like grossed out from yep. the fish. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, probably took me like another four plus years to like cut out dairy and butter and Mm -hmm. eggs. And then I remember when I made the switch, like I ordered like a, like literally like the next weekend I ordered like a scramble at a a restaurant Mm -hmm. and I wasn't like, uh, like a tofu scramble. Like I was thinking tofu scramble and it came out with eggs and I was like, I was like so upset and disgusted (laughs) and I'd only been like vegan for like five days or something. (laughs) The like, new we we call that the newborn rage. Yeah, the yes. newborn rage. Yes. Okay. There we go. So that's our connection, yeah. and yeah, I just want to give thanks. Yeah. Well, it again, it 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 means a lot, and and I'm very, I'm very grateful that I was that human and that catalyst, and I'm also further delighted that you remember that my statement was delivered with. Uh, an eloquent nature because and I have no qualms with this sometimes my statements are delivered with an eloquent nature and and sometimes they are of a different essence so I'm I'm appreciative that in that moment it was it was one that that spurned you on to take action Mm -hmm. it's perfectly to the point yeah yeah Yeah. and we'll get into your activism because I think sounds good uh, you know, there's many forms of uh, communication Tons. and, and, and yeah. Um, yeah. effective means of activism that you've taken over the past, you know, decade plus. Um, so we'll get into those yeah. many those many means, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we'll go there. But I thought it would be fun. Uh, one of the the humans that I look up to in how they communicate um, the importance of veganism, and uh, they've coined the term carnism is Dr. Melanie Joy. Mm-hmm. And I thought uh, we could have Dina just kind of read an excerpt from her book yes. to kind of get set some of the, the conversation, set, set the mood yeah. for the, set the, set the tone set, for set the, the table. Yeah. yeah. But before I jump in, I just want to say how important it is to be the person to like ask the question or, you know, hear something from a prof mm-hmm. or watch a video or have an encounter with a friend and like make a change. Zach and I always talk about this idea of like the positive trail. Like you can almost imagine like the wake of a boat or something. And we just always say how like the way we carry ourselves and move ourselves, like move throughout the world, like it leaves a trail and why not try to like leave a positive trail. Mm -hmm. And so how interesting that like, you know, Professor Carol Mm -hmm. had this impact on you. Right. And who was it that had the impact on her to maybe want to teach in that way or bring yep. those things into her course? Yes. Right. And then from there, it's like a shared meal where it, you point out to Zach like this inconsistency in this newfound passion and like actions. And that through like my friendship with Zach, mm-hmm. like I kind of was introduced to veganism and like plant based eatings and someone I knew and kind of trusted and wasn't like, you know, this caricature of a vegan Mm -hmm. and like really helped me on my journey towards that right and so it's just awesome to see like you never know like the impact and the ripples Mm -hmm. of like those things and Mm -hmm. so it's just like that encouragement for anyone listening and like the acknowledgement around our table here Mm -hmm. is like it matters like Mm -hmm. those conversations matter and they can have huge impact in places that we don't even know well exactly and and i would even say that what you said there with the last piece and the fact that there there may be places or circumstances that you're not aware of and you may impact people through what you say, you know, what you post on social media, you may impact them hugely. However, 
one, you may never meet them. And two, you, you may never actually know that you had that impact on them. So it's, it's, it's such a wonderful honor to have this discussion and, you know, learn this from Zach. And at the same time, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that especially within the activism sphere, sometimes if we don't get direct feedback and acknowledgement from folks, we think that we are not having impact mm -hmm. when in actuality we very well may be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a metric that's hard to like, it's hard to measure because you don't have like a referral code or something, no. you know, yeah. for yeah. all the vegans that, no. uh, you know, you've put on their way, all no. the little baby vegans out there in the world. And, and there's no, there's no perfect formula, right? So if I, if I want to gauge impact and I have 10 people standing in front of me and I deliver the same message to all of them at the same time, well, sure, two of them, they may hear it, it may resonate, and then they will immediately start to shift. Two of them may say, nope, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard and turn around and walk away. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't have impact. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? So I think that within activism and communication, we need to think a lot about individuality. Totally. When, when we talk strategy. But again, so many subjects we oh, could dive yeah. into. We're going to dive into too many of <laughs> All them. All of them. Yeah, many of them. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's hear yes, what yes. Dr. Melanie Joy has for us. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll see where this takes us because I'm sure it's going to spark lots of ideas and conversations. So imagine for a moment this following scenario. You're a guest at an elegant dinner party. You're seated with the other guests at an ornately set table. The room is warm. Candlelight flickers across the crystal wine glasses and the conversation is flowing freely. Mouth-watering smells of rich food emanate from the kitchen. You haven't eaten all day and your stomach is growling. At last, after what feels like hours, your friend who is hosting the party emerges from the kitchen with a steaming pot of savory stew. The aromas of meat and seasonings and vegetables fill the room. You serve yourself a generous portion and after eating several mouthfuls of tender meat, you ask your friend for the recipe. I'd be happy to tell you, she replies. You begin with five pounds of golden retriever meat, well marinated, and then, golden retriever? You probably freeze mid-bite as you consider her words. The meat in your mouth is from a dog? Now what? Do you continue eating? Or are you revolted by the fact that there's golden retriever on your plate and you've just eaten some? Do you pick out the meat and eat the vegetables around it? Mm -hmm. If you're like most North Americans, when you hear that you've been eating dog, your feelings would automatically change from pleasure to some sort of revulsion. You might also become turned off by the vegetables in the stew as if they were somehow tainted by the meat. But let's suppose that your friend laughs and says she was playing a practical joke. The meat isn't golden retriever. After all, it's beef. How do you feel about the food now? Is your appetite fully restored? Do you resume eating with the same enthusiasm you had when you first begun the meal? Chances are, even though you know that the stew on your plate is exactly the same food you were savoring just moments earlier, you would have some residual emotional discomfort 
discomfort that might continue to affect you the next time you sit down for a pot of beef stew. What's going on here? Dr. Melanie Joy from the book, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. Which is an amazing book. It's an amazing book. Check her out on YouTube as well. Yes. She's she's an amazing uh, educator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I... I could think of about 10, 10 different places to start in no particular order. However, the the thing that, that stands out for me, and that is as someone who has read that particular passage before a couple of times, and this is also a tendency you know, that is not only present in that passage, this is something that is reflected out into the industry and that is the use of language and specifically the fact that they talk about this comparison between a golden retriever dog and and beef so immediately within that situation you have a dog who is being referred to as an individual and and acknowledged as an individual and of course we all know there are you know certain positive associations with dogs and they're members of our family and they're adorable and then we have this term beef which we all know is literally a, a, a piece of a cow who has been slaughtered However, that, that same consideration for the individual and the being is completely squashed and this is entirely referred to as a product instead. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the many, many reasons we, we do have speciesism, which we will talk about more as well. And that is the fact that Industries have created this entire new set of terms like beef, like pork, which do not directly refer to an animal and or an individual. And that gives us the opportunity to disconnect from the fact that all those things come from dead animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like the one that the one that I always think of most immediately is like veal. Yes. And I remember when I first learned like what that was, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Mm-hmm. People eat that? And then like for me at the time learning that, like I was still someone who ate meat. And I was like, oh, that's awful. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, so the simple math equation of like veal plus a few more years and like it's totally okay. Yep. Like I was living with that kind of incongruency at the mm-hmm. time, but somehow within me like, no, like you can't, that's wrong. Like, and so even within like uh, a carnivorous yeah. diet or someone who's consuming meat, mm-hmm. we would like draw these distinctions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. separating what the truth is by these like labels mm-hmm. that maybe mislead people. They might not even know fully what veal is. They might mm-hmm. just order it because mm-hmm. the rosemary, whatever else, sound, oh, that sounds good on that. Of course. But. Of course. And I mean, that that in and of itself is important to acknowledge. And that is that within within communities of folks who are eating 
uh, non-vegan diet on a regular basis, there is a hierarchy there. Mm. And there is a hierarchy in the sense that many folks who who eat um, flesh may feel very uncomfortable about the concept of eating a, a baby lamb or might feel very uncomfortable eating you know, foie gras, which uh, for folks who don't know, is the, the the liver of a duck who has been force force fed and are you know people have really really strong responses to these circumstances as they should however they don't seem to have the same critical thought patterns when it comes to a burger or bacon mm-hmm. or the chicken right you know? and same when we go you know across cultures um there are other cultures that eat animals mm-hmm. that we would um, you know, think is barbaric or or all sorts of terrible things and, and other cultures that would think like eating a cow is unholy exactly. or, or terrible. Mm-hmm. So um, here in, in the West, we, we also have our hierarchy of, of, of animals that are acceptable and unacceptable, as Melanie yeah. Joy was pointing out, mm-hmm. and we will judge other cultures while not judging ourselves mm-hmm. 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 well exactly and, I, and i'm glad you mentioned that and i think that uh, a really major one which a lot of folks are probably familiar with vegan or not is the the annual yulin dog dog meat festival yeah and to to many folks here in the west th- that is that is appalling and i i see individuals who you know really dive in and engage with activism and you know think that is that is genuinely one of the the worst things in the entire world however there is not a similar sense of reflection on what and who they are eating yeah yeah so I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I think that it's also pertinent to to think about our relationships with animals where we are, but also understand that we need to be looking at how those are other places in the world, and uh, it's it's certainly not black and white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could almost create like kind of just just for sake of like memory, like a memorable moment, and showing the kind of like silliness of it all is like you could create like a caricature of like someone in the west being you know so upset by the fact that like people in another culture would eat dog and have this big festival around it they're they're like okay everyone like i'm gonna host a block party and like i'm gonna barbecue burgers and we're gonna like raise awareness and i'll feed everybody we're gonna eat like eat together and and talk about how bad this is and then you know like someone you know, from, from like India with their cultural and religious sensibilities would be like, hey, we need to get together and protest like this person eating beef who's protesting this person eating cat. Like it's just kind of, if you step back, you're like, oh man, it's, wait, no, like we don't need to be eating any of it. Wow. Or, or the dolphins in Japan. I've seen a lot of people right. protest, um, yeah. you know, the, the slaughter of all of the dolphins mm-hmm. off the coast of Japan and you know, a lot of celebrities have, have jumped on uh, kind of against against that yeah. happening. But it's like, you know, if you want to shake a finger at someone else, like, mm-hmm. better be shaking it at yourself as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Look, yeah. Look within. And even in my yeah. notes, I'm like, as I'm 
as we're talking, I wrote, you know, just to have some numbers that 72 billion land animals are are murdered for their their flesh, their meat every year. But if you change it to how you were talking, Zoe, 72 billion individuals. Individuals, yeah. Like that is wild. I think 72 billion individuals are are slaughtered uh, every single year for mm-hmm. our for our for our food and that's mm-hmm. not even counting the three trillion fish and and uh, aquatic animals so mm-hmm. three trillion individuals from from mm-hmm. the ocean so mm-hmm. it's like tri- it's... trillions of animals are dying every single yeah. year and if you like broke that down to minute by minute it's it's like it's pretty frightening it's mm-hmm. it's it's very frightening and i'm i'm glad i'm glad that you actually worded that the way that you did because something i've been very hyper aware of in conversation and also in um in online communications and social media posts has been what happens and what is the response from folks when we change a sentence from the animals that we kill for food to the individuals whom we kill for food Hmm. because we we are already aware that there is you know we have great great power structures at play when we talk about humans and non-human animals we have established belief systems and values associated to animals so when we insert individuals that kind of introduces a new moment of pause and people have a have a have a second and kind of say oh an an animal is is an individual like the same way that a human being is an individual and and you and you see that that pause and that's really powerful so again language and how we use language and how we use language when we're talking about non-human animals and individuals. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So could you, could you speak a little bit to the fact of like, where, where does this language come from then? Like, how do we over time develop like, mm. okay, rather than saying like, you know, you're eating cow flesh Ooh. or cow meat, like it's beef or it's steak mm-hmm. or it's like sirloin or like we have all of these names, oh, yeah. the distance. So like, where do we develop those? How does that, and, and what role is that playing? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I always, I'm very expressive with my hands. So on, on a podcast situation, I need to say I'm rubbing my hands together because okay. I'm excited yes. to jump into this. Okay. Um, the, the long and short answer is it comes from industry and it comes from marketing. Okay. Right. So if we, if we give a a very, very, very short summary of, you know, where meat came from. Okay. So we figured out that if we kill animals and cut up their bodies and then sell, sell those parts of their bodies, we have a really, really good thing happening here. However, at some point in that evolution process, someone, presumably sitting around a table having a meeting about marketing and advertising and branding, said, you know what? There, m- there might be some people who are not feeling too great about knowing the full history and context 
of, of how this particular piece of flesh got to be on their plate. So what if we switch in some different words? And that will help them disconnect. And that will help obliterate that huge list of, hmm, where did this come from? What did it involve to, to get to this point? And I think we've seen a further evolution happen with the, the language of humane washing when it comes to animal products. And the one, the one that I always see and, and kind of have a, a chortle at is pasture-raised beef. No. Piece of flesh from a pasture-raised cow. So we see it time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. It's taking individuals, making them products, and then figuring out what language can be used to make people feel very, very good about purchasing those products. Because we do a great job, uh, of, job. of euf- euphemisms to make us feel okay, like... Mm-hmm. Grass-fed, sustainable, free-range, organic when it comes to meat. Um, And even like when you were talking about the animal's bodies, I think like in terms of a marketing sense, it even created a hierarchy of like, Mm -hmm. like now I can charge more for this part of the body. Yes. Yes. So like we, going back to what you're saying about language, we're just like... um, we're creating a, a bandage so that we feel okay about our decisions and we disconnect from, mm-hmm. from them being animals in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, also, we're also creating situations in which m- most, most consumers, I can't say this for, for everyone, nor will I try to, most consumers will not do a super, super deep dive into particular products and i'd say i would i would put some money down that the industry knows that mm-hmm. and when we bring in some of those terms that you just mentioned small scale grass fed happy ha- happy farm yeah. local etc technically those are all terms that are not regulated by any individual or, or any governing body. So any business and or any marketing person can sit down and decide, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna put local, I'm gonna put, you know, happy farm cultivated on this package. And, and, and no one is checking to see if, if those are actually the circumstances mm-hmm. which are present there. And most consumers see those terms they feel good, and and they don't look beyond that, and that's where a lot of problems present themselves. For sure, I can even think like growing up in high school, like uh, thinking about milk. I thought all the cows were happy because mm-hmm. I saw the picture yep. of the happy cow, mm-hmm. and I saw the commercials with like the cows, you know, walking freely, grazing in these like beautiful, mm-hmm. idyllic farms, mm-hmm. and I just assumed like, yeah, they live a, a nice life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and never even connected that cow's milk was for their for their babies. For their babies, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> just like our, you know, breast milk is for our babies. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels mm-hmm. like uh, they're, we've reduced animals to like a commodity and we think about them not in terms of like, uh, what is it like? I think it's Michael Pollan who says like we have to respect the chickenness of the chicken and, you know, the cowness of the cow and let them be in their element and do their thing and not exploit and extract. Mm-hmm. But we see them as like fulfilling a role for for us for us which is exactly again it's like one of those crazy flips that i don't think we we often think because in our lifetime or even the lifetime of like the generation above us we're like oh it's always been like this Mm -hmm. but that's not the case Mm -hmm. like it's not the case at all for in fact the majority of our time here as a species on the planet it's Mm -hmm. like this way that we're eating and using like animal agriculture and Mm -hmm. animal products is like it wasn't the it wasn't the main way that people ate and survived Mm -hmm. and thrived throughout their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, in, in some ways we are starting to see the reverse or the flip side of that equation, which is like, we're especially in the West, like we are a culture that is plagued by lifestyle diseases that are in large part, if not like directly caused from the way we're eating Eating. and the things that we're eating. So it's like, you know, sometimes people think, oh, like, but we're, we're meant to eat animals. Mm-hmm. Like we're designed to mm-hmm. eat these things. Right. But not necessarily so. No. And, and again, I mean, every, everything we talk about today, I, I can think of about 10 different things that I want to respond to based <laughs> on what you just said. But the thing that stood out, and this may actually come up later is this, this very common response of, well, we've always done it this way. Yeah. And when we, when we look at conversations around um, non-human animals and individuals and outside of those conversations, that, that term, number one, is a big cop-out in my humble opinion. And number two is a term that is often used to, to mask um, a great, great volume of problematic behavior and tendencies. So yeah, I think what we're kind of touching on is another another great line by Melanie Joy here is eating meat, and I'll say eating animals, mm-hmm. and I could say eating individuals, mm-hmm. is, is normal, natural, and necessary. Mm-hmm. So if we break that down, eating animals is normal. I, lots of terrible things have been normal. It doesn't, normal doesn't equate to right. No, exactly. So I think, you know, it's whatever you think of in the history of humanity, like you can point at four or five things like very quickly that were normalized mm-hmm. that, you know, clearly we, ne- we know are, weren't okay. Like mm-hmm. slavery, that's an easy one to mm-hmm. point at, um, you know, any form of racism or racial segregation, um, you know, females not having equal rights. Mm-hmm. We, we know all these things are not okay mm-hmm. and are, wrong Mm -hmm. but they were in fact all things that were normal Mm -hmm. for a very long time for a very long time Mm -hmm. natural natural oh that's one of my favorites okay what do you think about that (laughs) (laughs) but zoe eating animals is natural yeah our ancestors have done it for For thousands of years yeah forever so it is it is not inaccurate as we know that our ancestors did eat flesh. 
at at one point and then we also know and this is this is well documented this is not me making this up for the sake of this conversations alongside that um our ancestors also ate plants foraged foraged yeah cultivated berries and exactly i mean they, they, our ancestors were not navigating open barren lands where flesh was was the only option for them however that that use of the word natural i find that it is used very selectively right and it's used when it's convenient so if someone says to me i believe that eating meat is natural i i do it because our ancestors did it all right i would ask that individual if if you are going to make a decision today based on that and you are going to impart that that logic into your decision is it fair of me to assume that you will also be taking the life of of that individual in the same way that your ancestors did and will will you be doing the things to the body of that individual that are necessary to do before you consume a piece of it most of the time the answer is no and this is like before <laughs> guns or even bows and yes. arrows like you would have had to chase down that animal oh yeah and like oh yes there would have been a bloodbath you know yes yes and and i would i would make the bold statement that when when it comes down to it most human beings who are in a situation where they are are standing in in front of a an individual of some kind and they have let's say a weapon of any variety be it a spear a bow and arrow a knife a gun i would say the majority of humans could not stand in that situation and and take the life of of that individual and then and then eat them some could some definitely could and some do but i i strongly believe the majority of folks who eat animal products on a regular basis probably could not mm-hmm. and most i i would even think like just anecdotally from like conversations and experience like most would not even want to no. participate or see how it happens like at today's level mm-hmm. and it's kind of like they know but they don't want to know mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to know where my chicken comes from. Like, I just mm-hmm. want it to taste good in my stir fry or whatever. Exactly. But don't talk, don't talk to me about, because it's like no. that intuitive sense of like, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. I also think that we like play up the that nostalgic kind of like myth or story that's probably exaggerated of like the paleo like cave person right. who's out there like hunting the woolly mammoth, like three times a day and they just eat these huge like the Flintstones like the huge chunks of like meat or whatever very very powerful yeah versus (laughs) like if you actually think about it it's like it's way easier to get calories and food just from like Mm -hmm. foraging and like finding what's you know growing in and around you than it is to like hunt and chase down an animal and all of this Mm -hmm. it's for sure for sure it happened no doubt but like i think we have that vision of like oh they were like these hunters oh yeah hunter gatherer right like hunter comes first yeah it was probably like gatherer and then opportune hunter exactly 
Yeah. But we're like, no, hunters and gatherers. And, and not to mention that like yeah. the life ex- expectancy was yes. like to <laughs> a reproductive age and that was about it. Like, well, like, that's yeah. just the thing. Like, they lived to what, tw- 20, er, 30 early years? Early, tw- yeah. Like that's old. Like yeah. that was the, expected, the life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So if we you know, are modeling our lives around these, this yep. paleolithic era, then like, you know, the three of us would probably be dead by now. Yeah. 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 And, th- and that's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Right. And it's, it's use of the terms like natural, it's modeling, you know, modeling our behavior after certain periods of time. It is, it is all done selectively mm-hmm. and it's, it's done coming from a place of, of convenience. But what about, eating animals is necessary i mean i i work out i run i go for bike rides like i i would just you know wither and fall apart if i didn't have my my protein and like you know my my lean chicken wings Mm -hmm. bulletproof coffee you know (laughs) gotta put that butter in there yeah where where i actually thought you were going with that when you said eating animals is necessary one of my favorite responses is um if we if we don't eat animals, they will actually take over. Yes. So I mean, we, we've seen Planet of the Apes. Yes. We, we have a duty to consume them all. Because if we don't, then cows will just run rampant everywhere. Yes. It's wild this, cows. This is a response. I believe it. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> they live forever and they're going to be just like multiplying like crazy. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. Okay, so if the animals don't take over, mm-hmm. if the cows don't, you know, <laughs> come knocking down our doors. Yeah. I mean, how can we play sports? How can we like, you know, be mm-hmm. strong, you know, capable human beings if mm-hmm. we're not getting our our, you know, animal flesh, yes. the protein that we, you know, oh, protein. the protein, you know? Protein. Capital P. Okay. So, not this is not uh, not a fact that is known to to many folks. Number one, protein exists in in obviously in varying degrees. Protein exists in in every food. There is there is protein present. Number two, the industries that make animal products have done a really really awesome job of convincing us. Well, two things. One that animal products have the highest amount of protein and number two that animal products are the only place that you can get protein which is uh, a farce both Mm. both parts of that are a farce we know that we can get plant protein from you know at least 20 20 to 30 different sources off the top of my head we know that it is something we can get in a very high volume we know that we can get that protein but we are not getting things like saturated fat alongside it and we know that a lot of plant proteins can not only fuel us more efficiently they fuel us for longer periods of time and they benefit our bodies in a whole wide range of ways in in a way that that animal protein does not and this is coming from someone who has been very very physically active for for a very long time um i've had three boxing fights all of which were fueled by 
veganism, distance running, multi-day trail hikes, strength training. Triathlons. Triathlon coming up in a week and a half. Amazing. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'm doing great. I'm I'm doing okay. And I could I could definitely do a deep dive into some of the problematic cardiovascular considerations that we need to be aware of when we're eating high volumes of of animal flesh. But again, I'm I'm hyper aware of time, and we have so many things to talk about. That's true. That's <laughs> true. We'll save the nutrition talk Ugh. for for yeah. for you know. For some other conversations, we'll we'll kind of stay on the activism, animal <sighs> rights path today. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in in five minutes you can debunk that eating animals is normal, natural, necessary. Yeah. Um. So we can kind of like throw that mm-hmm. throw that argument out the window. Even the idea of like the food chain, yes. right? We're, we were often taught as young kids about like the food chain, like and like you just kind of eat everything and then like we're at the top. Yeah. And can eat all of this stuff. And I think there's a, there's some truth to that because it's like, sure, we can. But should we? And that's where like the new maybe education piece Mm -hmm. is coming around. Like Canada's Mm -hmm. new food guide is far more representative of like how people should be eating. Obviously, it still includes like meat and dairy and those things. Um, And I mean, maybe there's something to talk about there, like with all of the stuff that we know from science and from studying humans who've consumed for many years animal animal products mm-hmm. um, and the effects that that has on our bodies with things like cardiovascular health and, and health in general, like why why would our food guide, as maybe progressive as some people would look at it and call it in terms of moving plant forward and saying, yeah, here's beans and legumes that you can get protein from and this way your plate should look like, why would it still include like dairy and meat? Mm. Ooh, all right. So I will I will use one of my favorite terms here, and that is vested interest. Invested interests. So the the Canada Food Guide, which is a a guide which is produced by by the government. We are aware of that point. And some are aware, though not all are aware, that the the government and this is certainly not a circumstance which is exclusive to canada this is something that we could say is the case everywhere the the government has a very long-standing history and a series of deep deep rooted relationships with a lot of stakeholders within the animal product industries Mm-hmm. So without without having the list of partners, you know, and programs behind the Canada Food Guide in front of me, I, I can't say for sure, but I would say with a very, very strong vote of confidence that there was some relationship there with, you know, dairy or beef, because Canada is very proud of its beef. And for that reason... You, you see those things being recommended and you see those things staying around because those relationships are happening behind the scenes and they involve money and they involve a lot of money. Mm. Well, let's, let's get into the, the subsidies because I think this, yeah. is, this is something that <laughs> people don't realize the true cost of yes. a burger is not, um, you know, is not representation. Represent, it doesn't represent the actual cost of 
what's on your plate. With what's on your plate. Yeah. Thank you for completing my sentence. <laughs> We're practically the same person. So. Yeah. Connection. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, ooh, all right. So I, I need to pull up my, my reference graphic. Yeah. But I would actually like to, to ask you both a question. Yes. And this is, hmm, which, which one should I ask you? Here we go. Okay. So at the end of 2020, the federal government announced that they were going to provide some more funding to dairy farmers over the course of three years. So do either of you or both of you want to take a guess of what the amount they committed to was? For three years. Uh, So three years. And this is federal, so this is technically open to any dairy farm across Canada. Okay, I'm going to say, I mean, okay, knowing that meat and dairy are like probably the largest lobbyist groups mm-hmm. in Canada, mm-hmm. like somewhere between five to $10 billion. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of rounding around the same way. I'd say, I mean, at first I was like 20. But I'm like, that's a lot of money. But I'll go with that. I'll go. Mm-hmm. 20 billion. 20 billion? Over three years. Like over not, three not years. Not a year, but Correct. over the three years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would say you both went high, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. So over three years, they committed to paying $1.4 billion. Still a fuck ton of money. <laughs> it's, it's a fuck ton of money. And that... That is that is dairy, right? So that's one industry. Right. Okay. Right, right. And then and then the next one I have, this is so this is a provincial funding opportunity, right? Additional so, subsidies. So we're shifting to a smaller pool now. So this is um, a funding stream that was opened by the government for BC cattle ranchers, quote unquote cattle ranchers. Um, which was announced in September 2021. And they were given access to up to $20 million to help with quote-unquote extraordinary expenses. It's crazy. Like, (laughs) you know, we talk about like universal basic income and we talk about like, um, you know, like the subsidies that people got with CERB or whatever, like during covid but like meat and dairy are getting this mm. every single mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like let's, I'm going to. It's also interesting. Well, just yeah. as you, as you do that, like yeah. I'm just thinking, okay, so this was, this was oh. like pandemic yeah. relief support, which whatever, like good for our government for like looking after yeah. its people. Let's just, that's fine. Yes. No shade in that. But I'm just, it's, it's perplexing because. The last sentence you read about like overcoming exceptional circumstances or whatever it was, like I'm thinking back to 2020 when people were going crazy and buying up all of the meat. Mm -hmm. And it was like right away you saw, oh, there are some people who are going to do very well through this unfortunate reality that we're living through. And we had no idea how long it was going to go. We did not. And for sure, I'm sure there were like hardships where factories and things had to close because workers had COVID and there was interruptions to people's livelihood and all of that. But on the whole, it felt like people were at home more. Mm -hmm. 
and they were buying more things because they were at home mm-hmm. more and they're probably like everyone started making sourdough what other things mm-hmm. were people doing like <laughs> making oh, i'm gonna learn how to make brisket because i have time because i'm yeah. at home all day, all day. and so day. I, I have it i have a hard time fathoming fathoming that there would need to be that much money mm-hmm. to bail out uh or support mm-hmm. uh, industry that i don't think was that hard hit comparative no. to other industries that were mm-hmm. extremely hard hit well and i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned that because the the, the timeline is is relevant because those those two particular funding streams were introduced you know during the pandemic yeah and slash but subsidies definitely existed you know prior in in huge huge volumes mm-hmm. and in in particular industries we we see subsidies being you know pushed towards these industries which we also have knowledge of that that they are failing so th- the other one i would just like to mention um and this is this is shifting a bit because we've been talking mostly about um non-human animals that we're consuming so speaking about non-human animals that we are wearing specifically fur so we um i'm uh, the co-founder of an organization called ban fur farms bc so our our focus kind of given away by the name <laughs> is to to get all fur farms in bc banned so we are we are very very close the the government announced that all mink farms in bc will be closing within a few years there is one chinchilla farm and after that is closed they will they will all be done however there is nothing currently which indicates that new fur farms with other animals cannot be opened anywho I digress. Mm. So this this number, this is from the provincial government. And this, this number represents the subsidies given to fur farms in BC. So that's, that's less than 20 at the time. Throughout 2014 to th- 2020. And it is, it is common knowledge, you know, vegan, not vegan. It is common knowledge that that the fur industry as a whole has been going steadily downhill. Six million dollars. So that is over six years, and that is to less less than twenty fur farms. And that number of fur farms went down as we got closer to two thousand and twenty. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even know that there are fur farms in mm-hmm. Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they've seen yeah. a protest outside of a, like a high-end uh, clothing store. People protesting, uh, whatever it's called, Canada. Mm-hmm. Canada oh, Goose. Canada Goose. Um, yeah, barf. But um, <laughs> so much vomit. <laughs> I, but, I but most people wouldn't be aware that like we're yep. farming fox and yep. mink and mm-hmm. all these yeah. other things mm-hmm. um, for mm-hmm. for their fur. Like mm-hmm. Canada's one of the bigger expediters mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Well, it was it was recently like Zach and I we met up for a run as we often do, and it was just like that afternoon they had announced that there was a COVID outbreak at like a mink farm yes. in BC, and yeah. we were both like mink farm. What the heck? Like yeah. they're. <laughs> There's mink farms here? Like, mm-hmm. what? Are, what? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was shocking to learn that, I right? Know. And the story wasn't like, yo, there's mink farms. It was like COVID outbreak, mink farm closed. Yeah. And thinking like, 
or there, you know, could this start like another type of pathogen or whatever, if people are working with these animals in close proximity and captivity and yeah. all of this, right? So, I mean, yeah, yes, definitely. And, and something quite startling, furthermore, to your point of the fact that there isn't general knowledge that they're here to begin with, is we know that they're getting subsidies or were. However, the majority of the fur that's actually quote unquote grown in BC is sent to the States. Right. So this is not even a particular situation in which an argument could be made saying we're getting government funding, we're producing locally and it's staying locally. It's all going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just to loop back for a second on the subsidies, I I did some mathematics here, did some calculations. Yes. So this is dairy alone. This isn't meat um, slash animals. Okay. So the government is subsidizing the dairy industry with over a million dollars a day. So like we yeah. work really hard, all of us, Government and we, we pay our, our tax dollars mm-hmm. and they're giving a million dollars a day mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the dairy industry, mm-hmm. the cow, mm-hmm. the cow's milk mm-hmm. industry. That's crazy. Like think about mm-hmm. like a million dollars. Here's a million dollars. Here's a million dollars. Imagine, <sighs> imagine the good you could do with that money. I know. And then if you flipped it, imagine like, okay, so hopefully you're aware, um, we're all aware of like the health implications that dairy has on us um, and and huge environmental and the environmental implications. Now, imagine if we flip that instead of subsidizing something that is not only harming the planet, but also harming our health and the well-being of animals. Imagine if we flip that and we started subsidizing things that actually make us healthy, mm-hmm. like fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. and mental health. What if we put $1.2 billion towards mental health? Like, imagine what Canada could right. look like. Right? I know. It's crazy. Uh, all right. Also, I think I think it's important to, to say that when we talk about this, and obviously subsidies get me quite, quite elevated, but I, I want to be clear that to me it's not even – Subsidies to me, it's not a vegan, it's not a vegan conversation. It's not a vegan or a non-vegan conversation. This is to me something that everyone should be absolutely livid about based primarily on what you just outlined and the fact that, you know, though I understand that shifting um, money from one department within the government isn't as easy as saying, okay, let's take this and put it here and put it here. The reality is, and this was really evidenced during the pandemic, I could think of so many places and so many individuals and so many small businesses and organizations that could have used so much more financial support of of any amount. And instead, the government was literally throwing money at these industries, many of which were, were tossing product because they weren't selling enough. And and that 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 is maddening. And I think we all have an obligation to hold our government accountable and it doesn't matter if you're vegan or not vegan. Well, we can take it even further like uh, you know, there's a lot of stories and it's it's very apparent that there's a lot of communities mostly indigenous communities mm-hmm. that don't even have clean drinking water. water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, if we can subsidize dairy with 
$1.2 billion and million dollars mm-hmm. a day, but we can't subsidize communities mm-hmm. and indigenous communities to have exactly. clean drinking water. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's, there's something very wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it. That's the, the point yeah. that I was eager to make yeah. is exactly that. Like we are propping up an industry when there are people in our communities that need basic human necessities and they don't have them. Mm-hmm. And people like to think like, Oh, Canada, like progressive and everyone's and like, we've learned and are learning that like our history and even our present is like, not so great. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it is a great place to be, but like, it could be far better. And when you, when you are doing things well, it doesn't mean that you get a pass mm-hmm. on you know things like this like you Mm -hmm. that's where the citizens and people like have Mm -hmm. i think the obligation and the duty to like step up and uh, and hold our leaders accountable as you Mm -hmm. said and say whoa this seems like this seems Mm -hmm. kind of like an egregious waste Mm -hmm. or a misappropriation of a lot of money Mm -hmm. that could do way more good in other realms Mm -hmm. and one of one of my (laughs) one of my other favorite terms that i will impart is when we kind of look at this piece in relation to activism, I feel like when it comes to talking about the government and when it comes to talking about subsidies, it's it's the non-sexy part of activism, right? right? It is exciting. It's sex. You know, you have your big signs. You're you're on. You know, you're on the street corner. You're making a lot of noise. And and just to be clear, I am by no means downtrodding on that because I participate in that as well. However, I acknowledge that there is a different kind of immediate appeal towards something like that versus I'm going to sit down and read about subsidies for five hours and read about the history of the government and governmental structures. And both are very important. However, most are going to lean towards that right that that corner over there <laughs> yeah 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 but then i mean i i think that's so good that you said that because like if you think about the beneficiaries of those subsidies 10 out of 10 times they will encourage the activists to go stand on the corner and shout exactly they do not want activists like digging in mm-hmm. and looking at the legislation and mm-hmm. starting to ask questions and say wait this much money every year for what? Where is that going? Why is that going there? Why do we have a shortfall over here? Or is there no money for these things? Mm-hmm. Like that's far, far more dangerous I know. from the people who are on, you know, the receiving end of those dollars mm-hmm. to have someone look into that and start to like ask questions or bring those mm-hmm. things to light through personal story, social media or conventional media. Mm-hmm than a group of activists shouting on a corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. They will say, shout, shout, here, of here's course. some pens and papers, make your signs. Of course. Because like, that's not going to impact us in the significant way that we fear this would. Mm-hmm. And again, not to diminish the people no, on the corner, yep. right? Because those conversations and moments like help other people to see and that person might go, what? What are they on about? And mm-hmm. then they'll research and be like, oh, wait, what? Mm-hmm. That one sign was right. Like billions of dollars for the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's both are needed, but I think one can be far more dangerous of for course. the people like on the take. Of course. And, and something, something that I've really been on primarily throughout the pandemic, because there was just more time to be online and be at the computer during the pandemic, um, was really getting into FOIs mm. and, and freedom of information yeah. requests and, and talking to other folks in the activism community who 
were not even aware, number one, that that was a thing. And number two, that was something that they could access and, and something that they had a legal right to access. And some of the information that we found in those government documents around subsidies, around the fact that, you know, Langley was optioning opening up a fox fur farm in the middle of the pandemic. That that has been one of the most poignant things of the past few years, especially because it's hard to find out information about doing deep dives into the government and they want to keep it that way and get more people out on the corner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's also it's, it's easy to brush off you know the person at the side of the street with a exactly. picket sign because you can say oh they're it's a it's a fringe movement of uh, a group of small individuals and radicals radicals, radicals. extreme extremist <laughs> yeah you know yeah show me one time in history where radicals have changed anything yeah. oh, oh wait every every single <laughs> I, I, major social justice movement yes yeah. Right. yeah i love when it says like a headline will be like vegan extremists because it's like what's more extreme like eating fruits and vegetables or like slaughtering a bunch of like animals that are compassionate sentient beings exactly. yeah yeah I saw I saw one the other day where it was such an important reminder and even like moving into, you know, summer and, you know, beach bodies and all this kind of nonsense around like health and wellness. But was this idea like adopting a plant based diet, like and eating, you know, fruits and vegetables is so abnormal that Mm -hmm. people think you're on a diet Mm -hmm. like to like lose weight. But it's just like, no, this is just how we should eat. Like, mm-hmm. this is what's normal, but it's viewed as like extreme. Abnormal, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So just, um, we can put a pin in this and move on to something else. But just to <laughs> kind of like get back to that true cost just for a second. So like, I remember reading yeah. something like a McDonald's burger, like the true cost is like $20 a burger. And one of the arguments against veganism is often that, oh, it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the true cost of animal products mm-hmm. would be too expensive had the government not be funneling. heavily funnel, yeah. funneling money to, you know, drastically reduce reduce the price and using our tax dollars mm-hmm. to make it seem affordable um, in an economic sense. Um, but if I mean, one, I think veganism doesn't have to be expensive. I, I mean, agree. Like rice, beans. Yep guacamole salsa avocados like these are you you can make a really nourishing meal Mm -hmm. for a couple of dollars so what do you say when people say that to you like oh but it's so expensive Mm -hmm. to have a vegan diet yep i so when when people say certain things to me be it that response or others my my favorite approach is to answer with a question so i i want to gather a bit more information about about why you had that response. So to that person, I would say, okay, can you can you give me a few examples of, you know, what do you think a, a vegan diet looks like? Or have you seen things in the store and you think they're really, really expensive? So kind of g- gather, gather. And I think it is important to acknowledge that, yes, there, there are certain vegan items and alternatives that are at a higher price point. And as you said, I think it's also important to acknowledge that for most of us who are vegan, we are not eating 
entirely those things. You know, we have those alternatives once in a while. We have the the fancy $20 piece of vegan cheese. But at its core, if you're eating mostly a plant-based diet, which is built from whole foods, rice, lentils, tofu, vegetables, fruits, number one, everything I just listed, those are some of the most cost-efficient and nutrient-dense foods out there. So to me, it may be a cop-out or furthermore, it may just be a, a genuine misunderstanding of what a vegan would have in their grocery basket. Of course, because mm-hmm. there are, are are all those fancy items. The of ve- the vegan cheeses, yep. the yeah. meat, the meat alternatives. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can spend a couple hundred bucks pretty easily on on yes. vegan novelty or like you know items that are, are specialty items. But you could do the same uh, with a animal based diet. You know, like exactly. there are there are cuts of animals flesh that are more expensive than others. Mm-hmm. There are cheeses that are more expensive than mm-hmm. others, and like. You know, it's just a matter of, of perspective and priority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always funny to me too, like in a in a world where we really value like convenience and economy and, you know, just like accessibility mm-hmm. and and um yeah, like just the uh, the ease of like getting something you look and go, Okay, there's so many here in the West, like where we live, Vancouver, there's so many places like that carry such a wide mm-hmm. variety of tofu. Yep or tempeh or whatever you want to find so you can add that in and it's easy and it's nutrient dense and it's cheap and like we value efficiency and you like zach has done done this example before but it's like so you want to get a high protein calorie meal so you have you add in some tofu Mm -hmm. and it's like direct from the plant whereas like if you go and buy the beef for like more than the block of tofu now not only have you paid more money but like you're it's like such an inconvenient way of getting those calories and getting that protein because it's like gone through the middleman of the cow like the Mm -hmm. cow's eating the plant it's made the protein then it's gone through like there's so many steps Steps along the way that it's like terribly inefficient Mm -hmm. not as effective more expensive Mm -hmm. so like it's just the myth is like oh those specialty products are what vegans eat Mm -hmm. when it's like no (laughs) <laughs> cauliflower potatoes beans rice and it's yeah. like simple and, the good stuff yeah and and i would say kind of to jump off that point there's that misconception and maybe a misconception that we can only get those specialty items at specialty stores right so you know back in my my early my early vegan years sure you were going to places like whole foods mm-hmm which as we know has a bit of a higher price point because that was one of the only places where you could go if you wanted you know more than one kind of tofu to choose from however now we're in this this brilliant situation where we have places like great canadian superstore who are rolling out entire vegan product lines so they are they are accessible they're at a, a price point that is accessible for for many many folks so it's not you know we're, we're not in the situation anymore where we need to do destination destination shopping yeah, yeah. unless we want well, unless to. you want to yeah and and i don't think 
some people know that, you know, if you're someone who's shopping at Superstore, Safeway, Walmart, you you can get a really, really well-rounded selection of goods in your grocery cart and it will probably cost you the same, if not a lot less yeah. than if you had animal products in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So good. There we go. So <laughs> it's not expensive. We can uh, put a pin in that one. Um, okay. <laughs> it's true. Well, and it, like, okay, to your point, like yeah. even the, the stuff you see, like President's Choice or whatever yep. their, their, their brand is, like when those things are starting to come on par with or replace like the conventional bag of chicken nuggets yep. that you would get or pre-frozen beef patties because like people are busy and they want convenience and they want food but like you know if you ask the average person on the street like okay busy life whatever it is work job maybe family da 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 two jobs what do you look for in your groceries mm-hmm. it's like okay well i want it to be affordable mm-hmm. and i want it to be like you know healthy but like tasty yep. and i want to be able to like cook it and make it in under an hour, mm-hmm. right? I want to mm-hmm. get home and make it and eat it in that kind of window. And like now that these products are being more and more accessible, to me, it's like more people can try it, but it also shows that there's like a demand for it. Mm-hmm. So things are starting to shift, which is good. And I, you know, not to come back always to like the subsidy thing, but the hope would be that like as those kind of numbers start to shift and we see grocery stores coming out with their own chain, like maybe that's uh, that's a precursor to things like, governments shifting and saying oh yeah okay our food guide actually recommends some of these foods Mm -hmm. maybe it's time to like subsidize some of those to make those more accessible Mm -hmm. to the average canadian american family Mm -hmm. whatever it would be Mm kind of goes back and i'll get let you go here zoe but it kind of goes back to that normal natural necessary like we've always Mm -hmm. subsidized these things and like it's almost like um like you recreate within the system and you you basically break that system up and like it was for a time that like typewriters were normal and mm-hmm. then it became computers were normal mm-hmm. and then it became like cell phones were normal or horse and cart was normal and yep. then cars were normal gas cars you know now it's like electric cars are being normalized um so it's just like it is it does take time but if we can continually normalize not eating animals mm-hmm. i think the subsidies will follow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I would like to anticipate and I, I want to be very careful with how I word this. However, it is, it is safe to assume and, and we know this, that a, a lot of the individuals who let's call them, you know, are the big players in, in dairy and quote unquote cattle, they are usually of a certain age group and demographic, right? So I'm I'm talking about the the long the long standing ones, the the change makers, you know, those sitting on the board. I would say over the next couple of years, we're we're going to see a bit of a shift there because there there's going to be some obvious transitions. So that's piece number one. I would say piece number two, and I. I, I believe this strongly, though I know that they would never admit to it, is I believe that that industry is is scared to to some extent. I believe that the industry is aware that activists are here, 
and we, we always will be. However, I also think that industry is aware that there is some new awareness being cultivated in consumers who may not even define themselves as activists. However, they are privy to this information. They're starting to look for more information and they're starting to ask questions. And I think that as a result of that, industry is kind of starting to maybe be in the initial steps of a bit of a scramble. And I think that that is going to be a really interesting process to observe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, well, I think it's important and it's like unfolding. And like you said, the, the hope is in like the next generation and uh, Zach, you have a great example, like with your boys and how it's like, what's normal for them is like, you know, animals are animals and like not really food. And it's weird. Like, you know, in their little minds, I'm telling your story for you, but like, it's different for them to think like, why would someone like want to eat that or like drink milk from a cow that's for milk? And like, so you think about, you know, people who now are adopting plant-based because maybe they care about the environment or animal rights or simply for health. Mm -hmm. There's a whole range of reasons, but then those households and families, you know, if those people have children or when they have children, then it would be like, oh, this is how we eat because it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And then for the kids, they might be like, okay, cool. Like I grew up not eating animals or animal products because like it's better for me. Mm-hmm. But then also like, yeah, why would you? Like it becomes the distance between what's normal gets pushed and then those people are going to occupy positions mm-hmm. that can be the change makers. Exactly. Okay, so many things. There's so many things that I want to talk about. I know, say. I know. <laughs> okay, we got a, Dean's got a list, I got a list. Yeah. Let's see what we get through here. Um, okay, this is one that I think people don't always connect with, okay. and I just um, I'd like your take. Um, so one um, speciesism is a, a powerarchy, so a system of oppression, uh, the belief in a hierarchy of moral worth. So mm-hmm. um, maybe just okay, it's a two-parter, and okay. and they might seem disconnected, but they're connected. So speciesism being an ism, similar to you know racism, mm-hmm. sexism. Um, but connecting them, I saw a post and I'd love your take. Veganism is the biggest, is one of the biggest acts of feminism. Can you Mm -hmm. explain why veganism and feminism are connected and from there get into speciesism as a powerarchy? Okay. Oh, that's a good two-parter. All right. So I will, I will go with the second, the second part first and this is I I want to lead with providing this information because I think it's important to acknowledge that all folks will not be coming to this conversation with the same um, context and background knowledge specifically when it comes to to animal industries so when when it comes to let's call them the the main western industries in which we are um, taking animal flesh and secretions, the the majority of the individuals used within those industries, and I would say those with slightly higher value due to their ability to um, bear offspring, are females. So one that comes to mind immediately is dairy. Dairy milk comes from the bodies of mother cows. One um, one very common misconception is the fact that cows cows bodies just 
they're always making milk. Mm-hmm. You can you can walk up to a cow at any point. You can take some milk. No, um, a mother cow's body starts to produce milk when she is pregnant. It is a common practice on dairy farms that after that mother cow gives birth, her baby is usually taken away immediately or or let's say within an hour. If she happens to give birth to a female cow, then that individual will be isolated in an area separate from her mother and will essentially enter you know, enter the same cycle of oppression. If that cow happens to give birth to a male, it is a pretty standard practice that that baby is often killed immediately after because that individual is rendered completely useless within within the dairy industry specifically. When we look at, at pigs... Um, and a fantastic example I can reference is what is regarded as a local, a local farm, and that is Excelsior Hog Farm, which is the facility that that we all have become familiar with through Meet the Victims, and that is an instance of a mass operation in which you have uh, female pigs otherwise known as mothers, um, who are there specifically to give birth to other babies who will then become, you know, cogs, cogs in that industry cycle as well. So those, those are two, indi- two individual circumstances which come to mind. But when we, when we speak about feminism for, for us humans... It is rooted in shifting towards equal rights, equal representation, and working against the objectification and the commodification of the the female body. And when we jump back to those two examples, that is precisely what is happening in those circumstances. So that's why we see those two things tied together a lot. And often it will be encouraged that folks who do have a particular interest in feminism um, consider that that school of thought as well if it's not on their radar. Mm. And thank you for, for sharing that and, and clearing up the, the connection, the intersectionality between mm-hmm. veganism and feminism and mm-hmm. veganism with, with a lot of isms. Like I think... Uh, lots and lots. I mean, this is a conversation that maybe we can have another time, but... Um, part two. Part two, I mean, <laughs> I, I, like the communities that are, are most affected by um, animal agriculture are usually, you know, lower, lower yep. impoverished pover, communities mm-hmm. of lower income. Mm-hmm. So um, we can, I think that's like a full conversation on its own, so mm-hmm. we can kind of stay on the the kind of veganism 101 today but yeah. um oh definitely i i would even i would even add on to that um and this is specifically something that we we see a lot in the u.s um we're talking about lower income communities and particularly lower income communities for folks of of color and the fact that they are proportionally much more oppressed by 
animal AG. And I would say often that point in and of itself is, is, is not brought to the forefront um, in general and, and within vegan conversations as well, I'd say. Right. I mean, I guess we can just talk about it because we're talking about yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's so interesting because um, it, it should be a bigger bigger talking point, but animal agriculture is very like uh, predatory and where it puts mm-hmm. it, where, where big ag put their farms, it's usually, as you mentioned, especially in the States, in impoverished uh, BIPOC communities. And uh, like when you have the choice between, um, you know, not being able to being below the poverty line and not being able to afford to, to you know, keep your family well, and the jobs that are available are for animal agriculture. Mm-hmm. It's like your choice is to provide for your family, and they're put into positions and jobs yep. that are, are creating you know human suffering, um, and depression and and high rates of suicide. Um, because those are the jobs that are available. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you know, they're being opportunist and, and racializing and, uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the list of bad things in big ag are I like, know. I know. And it's, I, I'm glad you brought it up and, and it, it's been really interesting to see these discussions come, come into the, let's call it the vegan sphere because there is a, a, a particular reaction, and I, I certainly do not um, align with this reaction, and I'm kind of paraphrasing right now, and that is, no, 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 we are, we are having a discussion about animals. Mm. When we talk about humans and when we talk about human rights, that's, that's, that's taking away from the focus. We need to be spending all of our time and all of our energy on the animals. No, we need to be looking at all of these industries with a hugely critical lens and acknowledging that they have a detrimental impact on the non-human animals who are at the core of them, on the humans who are involved in them, sometimes by their own choice and sometimes not, mm-hmm. and and how the environment is impacted. And... A, a lot of people do not believe that is pertinent, and I may be slightly controversial in in saying this, but mm-hmm. but I I think it is, and that is as someone who identifies, you know, has identified as an animal activist and a vegan for animals for a very long time, and I still do, but that doesn't mean that you can position yourself in a space where you dismiss those other considerations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, and it, to me, it always makes like uh, the collaborative effort is going to be a better effort, stronger. Yeah. Right? So it's like if yep. this person is wanting to end, you know, uh, terrible labor conditions for marginalized communities, mm-hmm. and it just so happens that they come in and you know find a find a hog farm in small town America or Canada, and they recognize, you know, these labor conditions are terrible, and these people, you know, are. Uh, workers that are maybe some of them undocumented and so this is kind of like the, the place where they're going to be allowed to work or able to work and they want to uh, alleviate those conditions or bring justice to those conditions and those people like team up <laughs> team up if you're Collaborate. there for, yeah like if you're there for the animals but then someone's there being like yeah we we are against this place too but mm-hmm. for different reasons mm-hmm. like you're 
your goal, your end goal is the same. same. Mm -hmm. And I'm always, yeah, I'm always struck. And maybe you can speak to this a little bit. I think you're, we're, we're kind of dancing around. It's like vegans can often be and are, and are often like some of the most compassionate people mm -hmm. that can also be wildly like incompassionate towards other people. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and I would say, I would say that perhaps that, that latter group is part of the reason why, and here we kind of circle back to the, the role of language and the power of language. And I would say that may be one of the reasons why for some folks, when they hear the term vegan or, you know, they, they, they know they're meeting a vegan, there's that automatic, oh, oh, and they kind of tense up or they take a step back. Right. And... And, and you are right. That is because it is, it is a thing that there are some individuals who are vegan who use a very um, kind of single trajectory perspective when it comes to their, their critical analysis and their activism. Mm -hmm. However, definitely not all of us. No, definitely yep. not. Yeah. <laughs> it's the classic line like, oh, I met a vegan once. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. You're talking to someone who's been a pastor for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I, I do more explaining of like, yes, yes, I agree. Yep. Like Christians can be terrible. Yeah. Yes. I'm with yeah. you. Like all, those experiences should have never happened. And this is the same goes, right? That's what, that was a joke when I became plant-based or vegan. Yep. I was like, cool. So like, that's the, that's back in the old world when we had house parties, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's the house party killer. Like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm the vegan pastor. Like, yeah. cool. Bye. <laughs> Like conversation, conversation yeah. over, mm -hmm. right? But you're just yeah. the important work is like unpacking. No, no, no. Yeah, the, and and seeing. Yeah, no people. That's not the way. No, right? and and unpacking it. And I would say there's there's a really wonderful opportunity there for. Again, another one of my favorite terms, but a, a reframe of that word totally so so yes i i acknowledge that when certain people hear the word vegan they they will get their backs up they will turn around and go the other direction they will they will they will laugh and and that is valid because up up until that moment perhaps they have only had one set of experiences with vegans mm -hmm. and or with veganism so if i can potentially be that individual who who changes that and then you walk away and that has shifted your perception of veganism, well, that's, that's, that's very powerful and that has a lot of potential. Totally. Those, those small shifts can sometimes be the most important ones mm -hmm. in someone like altering someone's path for sure. Positive role modeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, do you know we got some good ones on your on your list there? Should we fire through a couple? Yeah, and then yeah. We'll, and then we'll wrap things up. There's one that I, I was in, in terms of the conversation around uh, feminism and veganism and, you know, bettering the world for everyone, mm -hmm. right? And saying, hey, we want to alleviate oppression. Like, can't, can't we have our cake and eat it too, kind of? Or maybe the cringy one is like, our, have our steak and eat it too, is mm -hmm. like the idea of like, what if we just like really committed as a community, as a country to like, make sure that the animals were like, really, they really were happy cows mm -hmm. being grass fed. And like that there was lots of strict measures to make sure that like they were treated well and had mm -hmm. good lives. Isn't that like they're going to die anyway. So mm -hmm. like why not just give them a good life and then 
you know, we could consume them anyway. Mm -hmm. That seems like a win-win, don't you think? (laughs) Not necessarily. So I guess the... The, the first thing I would like to repeat, because I know we, we talked about it a little bit before, is just because we can doesn't mean that we, that we should. And then the second part of that, and this also kind of connects to the conversation around language and how, how can we determine for a non-human animal that we have the means to arbitrarily decide that the life we have provided for them based on our definition and what we want the final outcome of that life to be in that it is serving us ultimately because we're talking about the end goal being on a plate. How will we ever know that? And I would say when we talk about you know, providing a a good life for this animal, which I am then going to consume after, that's that's providing a good life based on your interpretation of of what that is. And I would say that when we when we talk about veganism and shifting our perspectives of non-human animals and the way we think about them, we need to shift away from what we think and how they can benefit us and what they may want and how we can make decisions based on their well-being and their inherent right to a life which doesn't have an arbitrary endpoint determined by us and our desire to consume them. Mm-hmm. I think um, I was just projecting that onto some of the things that we see here. Like I think a lot of people have concluded that aquariums are bad for whales. So it shouldn't be a leap to to say that farms are bad for cows. You know, mm-hmm. they're just different forms of, you know, occupation or mm-hmm. our, um, dominion over various animals. Um, Another great book, by the way. Dom- dominion by Matthew Scully. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah we'll get I'll some books I'll just do a little you. PSA for that. <laughs> And and just thinking about like we all have equal capacity to suffer. Like mm-hmm. animals, you know, if I if I take a knife to a cow or a human, they both the human and the cow will feel pain, will feel suffering, will mm-hmm. their feelings, their experience will be very similar. Mm-hmm. So to to put our suffering uh as a different uh mm-hmm. experience than an animal suffering mm-hmm. is I think mm-hmm. um putting them back as animals as products and not individuals well exactly and and when we think about this you know this notion of quote-unquote uh happy or or ethical quote-unquote meat we're we're still arriving at the same end point right or, or humane my goodness or humane and, humane, and the, humane slaughter the, what does that even mean yeah the, the goal is to change the end point it's not to change how it's done mm-hmm. it's to change the end point and we see, we see, you know, an incredible volume of compelling footage, and I find, and this is, this is being a human who has seen all of the footage and has seen it for a very long period of time. Seeing the footage that folks are able to capture of non-human animals, 
when they are approaching the the area in which they will be killed every every single animal non-human animal pardon me braces and moves back it doesn't matter if it was a quote unquote ethical or or humane situation no no individual steps forth willingly into a situation in in which their life is is going to end and again it's the end point it's shifting the end point not how we get there it's thinking about how we can change the result mm-hmm. yeah that's that's good and even just that conversation earlier about like the need like do we need to do we mm-hmm. need to eat them like I, I like the thinking towards being more compassionate to their life and like, well, let's better their lives and make sure that they're protected. But then it, the fundamental question is like, we don't really like even mm-hmm. need to eat them. Mm-hmm. So like, why not? Why do all that to just have the same end result? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on like, it's kind of, it's been in, been in the news and the media for the last couple of years. And I think we'll see it growing even more like the idea of like cultured meat or like lab grown meats. Mm-hmm. So this, this is a question that I have been asked many, many times before. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of have a, a two-chunk a, a two, two answer to it. So number one, well, I'm going to expand that actually. I'm going to say I have a three-part a three answer to it. So number one, if I understand the process clearly from which it is obtained it is not technically vegan because we need to st- we need to start with with actual cells right. number 2 i do acknowledge that if we compare the volume of potential suffering involved in in that uh, quote unquote lab meat versus non lab meat it is probable where we could say in the lab you know we have less the third thing I would add is, again, just because we can, should we? So we have amazing, amazing, amazing companies who are creating these meat alternatives. And, and from what I can say, acknowledging it's been a long time, they come pretty darn close. And they are made entirely from plants. They do not require the cells. If if we're at such a fantastic place with those products now, I can only imagine where we'll be mm-hmm. in a couple of years. So I would say, let's let's shift, let's lean into that side of things. Let's move away from a situation where we need to be involving, you know, animal cells for any reason, and and kind of jump jump back to the plant side. That's yeah. the side I want to stay on. Yeah, yeah. That's- yeah oh that's good i just feel like i know lots of people have said oh like is that would you eat that like would you eat that like, would you steak it kind of i don't think so because it kind of like weirds me out i know i I've, like even the to be to be completely honest like even some of the um like meat alternatives that we have now that are like plant like i'll look and be like oh cool and then i'll like read the ingredients so it's like oh that's like a lot of stuff like i could just have tofu mm-hmm. and like really what am i eating it for do i 
like I'm eating it for what's it going to do for my body. And yes, of course I like things to taste mm-hmm. good, but most times it's like, I don't like, I want to, if I want a veggie burger, like I literally want it to be veggies. Veg- yep. Yep. Like in the patty, not like, I don't yep. need it to be, you know, the beyond meat. Mm-hmm. And that's on occasion, whatever. Sure. It's fine. But like, I actually prefer mm-hmm. a vegetable burger. It just tastes, oh, yep. to me, it tastes better. Yep. And then I know exactly what's in it. Mm-hmm. Black beans, quinoa, mm-hmm. whole grain, like, those ingredients are words I understand. Mm-hmm. Things you can read. Yeah. I'm the same as you guys. Like I don't have any interest in, in trying lab grow meats, but I do think like from a perspective of um, the environment and animal suffering, like it is, it is a move in a better direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It might not yeah. be a, the best direction, but it is a better than the current system direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know, we got any other lofty ones before we hit some, some rapid fire or where are we feeling? Well, I think uh, maybe maybe picking up on that, like what's the what's the goal that you you would love to see or a target that you would love to see in the next like whatever five to ten years? I mean, we talked about subsidies, so maybe shifting some of those things, education and legislation, like those are two components of like areas where we could shift uh, or or lean into, or simply like you know we talk about like the eighty percent of people being more plant-based in the next like five years and what the impact that will have. Like mm-hmm. if you could write the script on the next five to 10 years of future, like what would you love to see for the masses within like, you know, there's pipe dreams of like everybody just adopts a plant-based lifestyle <laughs> right now. It's like vegan and <laughs> versus like, okay, what's, what do you think is like realistic? Maybe a realistic goal or ambition that you could move us towards. Okay. The, 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 I'll say the broad one is I would like to see the extreme dismantling of all of the systems that oppress non-human animals on a, a regular and a very dismissive basis. So that's that's the broad yeah. the broad casual one. Yeah. I would say I would say that something I I still don't always see a lot of individuals doing is simply reconsidering their relationships with non-human animals and also doing a bit of a deep dive into why they may have certain belief systems and I think that for a lot of people when they encounter a vegan or you know an activist on the street doing outreach for a lot of folks that's actually the first time that someone has said to them are you aware that maybe the way you're eating and the way that you've thought about animals your whole life is actually wrong and is not the only way that you can think about animals? And often, for obvious reasons, that that is met with a lot of resistance, okay? Most humans don't like to be told that everything they've known their entire life is is potentially a farce. So I would say creating creating opportunities where we can do that more and support that happening for for individuals more and then I'll kind of sandwich in between that and the broader one is I I see this happening and I am confident that it will continue to happen and that is a more strategic focus on activism and also a, a diversification of activism yeah. and what that term looks like and what it is comprised of 
and what it has meant to us up until now and how it can potentially contribute in different ways to that broader goal of eventually dismantling all of those systems. I love Take it. it down. So if someone's listening and they're like, heck yes, I'm ready to be a vegan, mm-hmm. I'm ready to be an acti- activist, can you kind of touch on some ev- effective forms of activism uh, for, for people that it might be new to and maybe some communication tactics for, for new vegans? Mm-hmm. So I would, again, I, I wouldn't necessarily answer that question with one broad stroke. I would like to learn a little bit more about about them. And I believe that when it comes to developing our individual relationships with activism, there are there are many many ways that those relationships can be fostered. They're going to be based on our personality, they're going to be based on our our comfort levels, our skill sets. So I would say to that person first question would be what does activism look like for you and when you think about wanting to get involved do you have an idea of what you might want to do do you want to talk to people are you a graphic designer and you know your your activism is going to be creating assets for particular campaigns and i think when we when we approach it like that on an individual basis we end up with folks in spaces and situations where they're more comfortable and therefore likelihood is they'll they'll stay around longer and and be more successful with their activism Mm -hmm. so find activism where you're at like i can say on a personal level like i you know i've done it before but i'm not i'm not uh one to necessarily go with my with my sign and go petition on the streets Mm -hmm. and it's not usually my mo i've done it before but um for me you know i've got the business, the juice track, yeah, which is huge. And I can, I mean, I, th- I like to see the business as a, a form of activism it itself is. because mm-hmm. it's a vegan business and we're opting out of, um, you know, big meat and dairy agriculture, but I, we have this business that makes food and smoothies. So if I see people doing great things, I can support them by donating food, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, you know, people that are protesting or if it's land defenders or if it's like, Whatever it might be, I can I can take the model with which I work and and use it to support people that mm-hmm. are, you know, frontline activists. Mm-hmm. So whatever anybody's doing, I think you can take your your line of work or your business or, or your passion and find a way to work it mm-hmm. into activism that you support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that's that's so important to acknowledge, and I also think it's important to acknowledge that there is there is sometimes this notion of um, a hierarchy mm. you know if if you do x type of activism then you are therefore the the most the most committed to the cause of everyone right. and and what an absolute farce that is because it's also important to acknowledge with an activism there's there's a huge point of of access to be considered so i i will use myself as as an example, I recently participated in a, a very peaceful sit-in at the BCSPCA head office, which let's call it um, an act of civil disobedience. And it it was a known possibility when we prepared for that, that we would end with being arrested. Mm. So 
I am also aware that I am in a position where that can happen. I am in um, a, you know, a position with my employer where that can happen. I, I, I am, I am, I am set up and equipped to be able to do that. However, many are not. And that does not mean that what I did and what we did is more impactful because it ended with us being arrested. It just means that in that specific circumstance, that's how I was able to contribute. And in many different circumstances, people will all be able to contribute in different ways. And provided that strategy and outcome is being considered, they're they're all valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Because like it's that's the thing. I think it's a immediate self-selecting out or barrier for mm-hmm. people to say, "Well, I like, oh, I'm like for it, but I like I can't do that." Yeah. So then I guess I just won't do anything. Mm-hmm. Rather than the call, the call to action is like, and the invitation is really like, do what you can where mm-hmm. you are. And yeah. do the thing that like brings you joy or lights you up because exactly. that's going to, you're going to be your most effective self mm-hmm. affecting change when you like step into those mm-hmm. places. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not any less. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good that it's like, you're not diminishing. It's not any less nope. than the person who has Just the ability different. to like risk a higher, you know, uh, consequence, let's call it for their action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's like a good place to kind of land for now. We yeah. like to we like to wrap things up with a few like random fire questions. Ooh, got I it. Think that, I think there's so much that we can talk about. Like we've got this list of like hundreds of <laughs> kind of questions of, of kind of just like the generic like tropes against vegan like v- veganism. And I think we could jump into more of those on maybe a follow-up uh, mm-hmm. podcast. But for today, I think this is a lot for people to kind of let simmer and let, let – uh, kind of let those, those ruminate let those seeds ruminate. seeds ruminate and grow <laughs> yeah um so if they listen to this and they're like okay i want to i want to get into this vegan lifestyle i'm curious about uh animal rights and animal activism are there any documentaries or books or resources that um you would highlight mm-hmm. so i would Again, and this is this is certainly um, not not me wanting to be a, a one track record, but I would base that uh, whether or not I I would want to know why they were attracted to it. Mm. So if someone is really into animal rights and learning more about you know that side of it, I would say Earthlings. I think Earthlings is very powerful and really poignant and and very hard to watch but very important i would say if someone is interested in learning more about the environmental impact cowspiracy if um it's health and athleticism what the health game changers so we're at this this amazing position where we have such access to resources which gives us a huge advantage to kind of customize how we support um, those who are coming into it. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that. Yeah. All right. What else do we got, Dina? Uh, okay. Well, you're, um, you talked a little bit just in brief about your athletic pursuits, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome. And, you know, we always laugh about Zach and I just being a couple of like malnourished vegans <laughs> out there, like so running, mal- you know, wasting <laughs> away. But um, as, as a vegan athlete, mm-hmm. what's your favorite way to like sweat? Is that running, boxing? Like you kind of, you've covered a few, but what's, what's your favorite way to get, get it out? 
Oh, that, okay. I would say, I would say boxing. Yeah. 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 I have a, a long, a long history with boxing. I started, I want to say a year ago this September, uh, I started boxing out of a, a really, really wonderful gym in North Vancouver called Griffin's. And I have just so enjoyed being there and, you know, enjoyed the intensity of that movement. There is uh, a challenge actually going on right now. And the challenge is to do 30 classes in 60 days. So the end, uh, this will take us to the end of May. So I'm just over 60 right now and I'm going for 90. Nice. And I can definitely say that part of that is to kind of um, have something to clap back to the folks who think that vegans are not as capable. Yeah. So I'm going to triple that and, yeah. then, and then we'll talk. Yeah, but I yes. You, you only, great job. You did 30? It's <laughs> not bad. Not bad for a meat eater. <laughs> well, and that's um, by, by no means to... Um, um, I have such admiration for anyone participating yes, in that challenge course. because it 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 really is an intense type of movement. Right. And um, I, I just love it. I think that boxing is a type of movement that is often misunderstood. And I think that there is a lot of beauty and a lot of nuance in it, mm. which a lot of people may not assume. So if anyone is ever compelled to try it, um, I, I love bringing new folks. So amazing. Cool. PSA for boxing. Yes. So, <laughs> so how do you feel yourself pre and post uh, movement? Mm. So I'm, I may be a little bit of an anomaly because I am definitely not a person who likes to eat a lot before. I, I, I can't. Um, it's, it's usually coffee yeah. depending on the time of day. And then afterwards, there is an abundance of food afterwards. Yeah. I, I too am kind of a, a quote unquote classic vegan. So my favorite things are brown rice, veggies, tofu, anything I can put in the air fryer, oh, basically. God bless those air fryers. God, <laughs> God bless the air fryers. Unbelievable. <laughs> So that's that's kind of my 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 go-to. Yes. And just just a lot of it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right, Dina, you want to bring her home? Let's land it. Yeah. So first of all, uh, thanks so much for your time and sharing my with pleasure. us and and um, <laughs> answering all of our our questions that we're peppering at you. And um, we just uh, when we started the pod, uh, Zach and I were always hopeful that we have meaningful interactions with just like people who are doing cool stuff in the world. And I mean, you certainly are one of those. Um, and we named our podcast a little more good, knowing that that's what we wanted to see and create and do and kind of be about in the world. But it's been cool. A kind of practice of ours is to ask everyone that comes on, like, what does that phrase saying sentiment mean, hold or carry for you a little more good, a little more good. I would say a little more good is something I would like to assign to folks in exploring their standing relationships with non-human animals. And if you can think about that and and treat animals just just a little bit better. But a lot more better. Yeah. A lot more, yeah. A lot more good. I love it. But it's the kind of the steps where it's like a little bit leads to a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Zoe. Thank, Thank you, Zoe. You. Grateful for you. Starting the vegan journey. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> uh, here we go, Dina. What did you think? What did, yeah. what did you think? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, as I was having the conversation and, and listening, you know, to the things that Zoe was talking about, like I was even challenged a little bit in thinking about activism and what that looks like and you know um, acts of even like what we would call like civil disobedience and and how that's viewed and you know just lots of lots of thoughts swirling about how how to raise awareness how to make people compassionate and understanding to a movement that maybe they're not part of um or they they haven't really under, understood in in the past and so yeah, so, so many good takeaways and things to think about in even just my own journey and like, you know, working, working as someone who wants to spread the message of compassion and love in this world of ours. There we go. Zoe's the great messenger, the great activist. Um, that will definitely be the first of many conversations with Zoe. I've got like uh, endless asterisks of things to save for the next convo yeah um so there definitely will be a follow-up on this one she's just such like a wealth of knowledge and compassion and and just like a leader in this community that she's really willing to to fully give herself for this movement of of bettering our relationship to other to animals and to planet so it's it's pretty cool to see it yeah yeah definitely if you want to learn more or connect with her further uh instagram at zoe marg you can find her there and uh kind of keep up with all of the she she shares a lot um uh just different ways of being aware uh, activism things that she's participating in uh causes and stuff she's passionate about so that's a great resource to follow her there if you if you want to learn and go deeper or connect with her so that's where you can find her Here's, here's the step for everybody to, to be an activist today. Uh, share this podcast. Share it on your social channels. Share it with a friend. Share it with uh, some family members or someone that you think is maybe um, stuck in a paradigm that um, you know is maybe serving the old world, but not this new one that we live in. Um, you know, question things that are are have been told to you are normal, natural, necessary um so yeah please please do share this podcast and if it resonated um you know throw up a a like or a review or a thumbs up uh wherever you get this this pod into your earbuds yeah and uh again yeah grateful for all of you listening making it this far and uh we look forward to chatting with y'all next week all right everyone thanks for listening peace Right. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.